0: Hi, and welcome to a podcast from Hope Springs Church Coventry. For more, please find us on Facebook at Hope Springs Church or on Twitter, we're at Hope Springs Cobb. Thank you and enjoy. Right, so um, yes, it's nearly Christmas, and I'm really happy to be able to do a Christmas sermon. Um, So we're looking at the Magi or the Kings this time, so we're still on the table series. Uh, Steve talked about the shepherds uh, a couple of weeks ago, it's hard to remember now, the last time that we were here. I wasn't here that time either, so it's been quite a while. But I'm talking about uh, the Kings. Uh, This kind of diverged dramatically from where I thought it was gonna go. Um, It's just one of those things that happens, but I'll, I'll read uh, the, the account from the Gospel of Matthew and then I'll just dive right in. I'm not going to take too long today uh, because that is my gift to you. Uh, another, and yet another lie about the duration of a sermon. Um, so, the shepherds occur in Luke's Gospel but not in Matthew's Gospel. And the kings or magi or wise men occur in Matthew's Gospel but not Luke's Gospel. And we'll talk a little bit about why that is in, in a bit, but I'm just going to read, just a very short account. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. Take note of that. That, that um, phrase comes up a lot in Matthew's gospel, for this is what the prophet had written. But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no, means, by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found them from the exact time. The star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, "Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go too and worship him." After they had heard the king, they went on. They went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over a place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On the coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to herod they returned to their country by another route um yeah so talking about the kings we could do this in many different ways i still uh, have steve's message from a couple of years back about going back a different way that kind of resounds in my head so i'm trying not to just reproduce steve's sermon from a few years ago um but it's funny when i sat down to prepare this kind of there's quite a few themes that that we have or haven't been looking at recently so there's the invitation there's the table and then of course it's christmas and so we're in the period of advent and all these things kind of i feel like they collided in a really good way Uh, so i am actually going to try and hold intention all of these different aspects so advent is about waiting it's from the latin adventus which which literally means to anticipate um waiting for the arrival of jesus that's what Advent is it's about the, the first coming of jesus but also the second coming The resolution of all things and we've been talking about the table jesus being that location of welcome and reconciliation and obviously that in mind the incarnation is the perfect example of that and then we've also been talking about the invitation which overlaps massively with the table obviously but jesus invites us to come all of our christmas carols come let's adore him come behold him come they told me and and i love that that it all kind of overlaps in this wonderful way it creates this constellation a deliberate pun on the star um of these ideas that kind of orbit one another because we we dumb it down we make it cute we 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 make it trivial the, the advent of jesus but it's the titanic shift in the universe it is the ground zero of everything Changing forever. Um, this was the moment that that God all along was moving towards, and this is the pinnacle. And then it unfolds further from there. The birth of Jesus inaugurates something. He becomes the central focus of the whole world. He becomes the table of God set for the nations, for the entire universe, for all of creation. That baby in that manger. Is the focal point of everything and it's not just that the gaze is beckoned or even compelled to look that way mm. it's that all of in the entirety of creation its hopes and fears were met in that night yeah. mm. and it's so ridiculously cosmic in its scope that we struggle to have language about it but we have an inkling, we have a hint, we have a notion that it is that important because the nativity story is told in every school, in the whole of Christendom. It's, it's a story that just won't go away. It will never leave us. It's seared into the public consciousness of what is pretty much a post-Christian world. Everybody knows it. it the story has outlasted everything that would seek to silence it. And just from that, it's a tease that this is important. Mm -hmm. Everyone is invited to that. Here's the message of good will and joy to all men. And symbolically, at least, the gospel narratives in Luke and Matthew kind of tease out the response of the world to this Christ's arrival. (laughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Because everyone, knowingly or not, has been waiting for that moment. The turning of the ages, the change of everything, the inauguration of a new eon. The invitation to be reconciled to the creation. To be reconciled to the creator. To live lives that have finally discovered their true purpose and meaning in God made flesh in the incarnation. So let's talk about waiting because that's what Advent is. We're always waiting, waiting for something. It could be something as uh, banal as waiting for the weekend. If you talk to your colleagues at work, it's nearly Saturday. Oh, it's Wednesday. We're now halfway there. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's Monday. This is the day that I don't. I grumble about everything because it's the furthest from the weekend, the anticipation of arrival. Could be waiting for the next paycheck. How are we going to afford this? How are we going to pay our bills because I don't get paid until then. Could be waiting uh, for bedtime. Will the kids just go to sleep? (laughs) I am so tired. Could be waiting for a birthday. It could be waiting for Christmas, like we're doing. Could be waiting for the holidays. You know, how many days have you got left at work? Oh finish on Friday. You know, great. Could be something that we've been working towards. (coughs) So, like the invitation project. We've got the date that you're going to release it. We're waiting for that date so we can drop it, and probably not think about it for a few days at least. Or it could be something that we're hoping for. Will this ever happen? It can be a definite hope, like in five or six days, this will happen. Or it could be something maybe less tangible, maybe one day this thing will happen. I'm waiting for an opportunity, I'm waiting for the stars to align. I'm waiting for my ship to come in, my chance to come, my hopes and dreams to be fulfilled. I'm waiting to feel well. It seems like forever ago, that all four of us in my house were well. Like one by one, like we've been ill and it's like this revolving door. I'm I'm waiting for a good night's sleep. You know, waiting to give, when was the last time they had Ibuprofen? It's been four hours. When can we next give it? What, what about the amoxicillin? Yeah, uh, no, that's at dinner time. I'm waiting. Yeah, but her temperature's gone up. Can we give us... No, we've got to wait. Waiting in A&E. It's a four hour wait. Waiting to see in anticipation. Is Sarah going to have another night terror because her temperature's over 41? Is that going to happen? Wait to find out if Emma's going to vomit in the night, which is a delightful experience. I slept in a camp bed. To be nearer because no one wants to be on their own when they're sick but you never want to be the person with the person being sick book it right by my head delightful way to wake up in at 3am um, waiting for the doctor to call back waiting for 111 to try and get back to you waiting to see if an inhaler had any effect on their breathing waiting in <laughs> the expectation of a good night's sleep about something Advent is about waiting, and we all know what it is to wait. It's a, a, a universal experience. We're always waiting for something, whether it's something uh, ridiculously small in the scheme of things or whether it's something that you will stake your life on it. It's going to change your future forever. Maybe it's the the waiting to see if things get better. You know, some conflicts, some... A difficulty like Christmas time. That's that like famous time of having family around a table. Is it going to be awkward? Is my uh, Daily Mail reading relative going to say something stupid that I'm going to have to put down or like grit my teeth over? Waiting. But the thing is, it's all about Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus plus nothing, as we've said. Mm-hmm. We're waiting for something. But in actual fact the thing we're really waiting for is Jesus as the cow says the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight mm. so we have this idea of waiting and hope but hopes fulfilled in someone. it's not a nebulous thing it's not intangible it's not something you can't have a relationship with it's a person that you can interact with that you can have dialogue with so waiting and so I'm supposed to be talking about the three kings, how we got the idea that there was three kings, because there's three gifts, and we, we thought that no one would want to be embarrassed and turn up without a gift, because that's just not cool, so there's three kings. And we pretend that they're kings because they bought gifts, It's a bit of circular logic in our history. They're called Magoi or Magoi, we've all heard this now, we're all familiar, this is where we get the word magic from and all that. Um, and, and talking about these guys could go in many different directions. Uh, we could do something a bit edgy about that kind of magic thing. We could do some Harry Potter illustrations, which I'd quite like. Um, we could talk about the inclusivity of Christmas. That's, that's really in line with the table. Uh, so we've had the shepherds, which could either be the poor, or the outcast, or they could just be the regular folk that have been dispossessed of their lands and they're now having to work um, for other landowners. And then... You know, that's Luke, and his gospel is all about the social levelling of everything. You know, that's where you get Mary's Magnificat talking about the levelling of society in an economic way. And then we have Matthew's one, which is all about King Jesus. It's all about establishing Jesus is the guy who runs, who governs, who leads the kingdom of God. So, you know, Matthew's gospel is set up. It's got five discourses of Jesus, five teaching sections, which evokes kind of the Pentateuch. Is um, <coughs> it pains to talk about Jesus in Mosaic terms? Um, and so, of course, if you're going to talk about King Jesus, then you need kings to visit him. You need royal dignitaries coming from the nations. So it's inclusive. You have the last, the least, the lost, the little. You have the kings, these grandiose people coming from afar. Um, <coughs> but we're not going to talk about that. Um, you know. What I want to talk about the kings is that they're being invited to witness the fulfillment of hope. The nativity is the beginning of the end of the waiting, not just for those people who are clued in on what God is doing, but for those people who have no clue what has been unfolding in the nation of Israel for 3,000 years. Yeah. The major. Jesus is the end of the waiting. Jesus is the fulfilment of all of the promises of God. Jesus is the yes and amen to the massive promises of God that are cosmic in their proportions. And these things were spoken by the prophets in that nation, but for the entire world. Matthew is at constant pains to keep referencing the Old Testament. He is saying, look, Jesus fulfils this just flick through the gospel of matthew and you'll see it time and again even some really dodgy references where matthew picks some random verse and says yeah this means that and it clearly doesn't but you know matthew he would not pass his theology degree so you've got waiting we have the the magi (coughs) and then we have the stars we have to talk about the stars because in the invitation their invitation was written in the stars we have to talk about stars You know, I saw on Facebook, you know on the adverts you get on Facebook, you can get this, not on the high street I think it is, this gift where you can buy a chart of the stars for someone when they were born or when you got engaged or when you were married or whatever. You know, this alignment of the stars on that particular time. Now, I'm not sure that Matthew was a qualified astronomer, because the way he talks about the rising of stars does not satisfy any... Principles of physics, whatsoever. Um, stars don't lead you to somewhere, they don't stop over a certain place, especially somewhere as small as Bethlehem, and especially somewhere as parochial as the space that they were in. But somehow they were led by the stars. And we can kind of uh, rationalize that. You know, some constellation was in the sky that indicated something to them, and within their framework of understanding, it indicated that this was happening at this specific location so we can rationalize it and that's perfectly fine we can approach the Bible in that way um, but the thing is is that the alignment of stars is not something that some alignments happen very regularly in terms of cosmic things you know we, we, we go around the Sun once a year and things like that the, the earth rotates once a day <coughs> But some things in the stars, and this was obviously a fairly significant thing, it doesn't happen very often at all. Excuse me. So they were waiting. They were waiting to see something. How long were they waiting for that particular alignment to tell them something within their frame of reference that something was going on in Bethlehem? And we can surmise that they'd been waiting forever. It had never happened like that before, mm-hmm. else they would have been to Bethlehem before. Yeah. Something drew them. They travelled from Southern Arabia. How do we know it's Southern Arabia? It's the only place where all of those three things, gold, frankincense and myrrh, exist in abundance. Mm-hmm. But something drew them. Something told them that it was going on within their frame of reference. At one point during my A-levels, I considered being an astrophysicist. I applied to Birmingham University to do it as a degree. Um, Thankfully, I didn't quite get the grades in physics to do it. Um, I don't think I'd have been very good at it. Uh, So in the end, I opted to do aerospace engineering at Cov. But still kind of that amateur kind of uh, astronomy dilettante in me. Uh, kind of veered towards space and so in my final year thesis I managed to um, tangentially shoehorn in something to do with space where I planned a mission um, from Earth to Mars because at the time of doing my degree they'd just launched the Odyssey mission to go into orbit around Mars Now my degree, I did it from first principles which means I just took the maths and created a theoretical model from maths to plan a mission from Earth to Mars and it was very simplistic. Um I didn't work in three dimensions in space, trying to navigate multi-dimensional orbits and stuff with very hard math, which I just wasn't up to. Uh, but interestingly, like my my plan, my mission from launching from Earth to get to Mars orbit was only 60 days longer than the actual official NASA Mars Odyssey took. Which I was quite pleased about. Um The Mars Odyssey mission took seven months to get from Earth to Mars. (coughs) And it had to be launched at an opportune time because Earth and Mars don't orbit the Sun at the same rate, nor do they orbit in the same plane. Which means if they chose the wrong time to launch, Mars could be over here, the Sun here, and Earth here, and then it would take forever to get there because maybe if they sent it that way around, Mars was travelling this way, So they had to do it when the the orbits were as close as possible. So you can kind of feel how the likelihood, the probabilities, and the distances of things aligning perfectly had to be waited for, had to be carefully calculated and planned. Calculating the alignment is one thing. Oh, I know when Mars is going to be the the most opportune time for us to launch something there. Oh, it's going to be in 18 years' time. It means waiting. Mm. And this is our closest neighbour. A single planet that NASA had to wait for. <coughs> I don't know if you remember 1986, anybody? I feel old. <laughs> <laughs> Halley's Comet. There was a big furore in the press in 1986 because that was... Halley's Comet is at a near-orbiting... Uh, comet that comes through our solar system every 75 years it is called a short period comet as in it regularly comes past earth and can be visible with the naked eye the next time it will be visible i remember it in 1986 it's going to be 2061 the next time it's coming by when we start talking about stars we're talking about colossal measurements of time and distance the idea of waiting for something to align is almost impossible to fathom and yet Jesus fulfilled something for a group of people that didn't even know who or what his significance really was Mm -hmm. (coughs) but not just waiting for the stars to align let's just get really practical If we surmise that they came from Southern Arabia, which is modern-day Yemen, how long would it take them to travel to Bethlehem? It's about 2,200 (coughs) kilometres. Thank goodness for Google Maps. (laughs) For context, that's the same distance from Coventry to the North Pole. Or, if you fancy a winter break, it's about as far as Istanbul from Coventry. The time of the Roman Empire, it would take 27 days to travel from Rome to Londinium. On the famed Roman roads, of which Londinium, modern day London, was an actual important city. So they'd have good roads leading from Rome to London from London to Rome, really, because the roads were built so that they could extract taxes from these nations and bring them back to Rome. All roads lead to Rome, after all. That distance is only half the distance from Yemen to Bethlehem. And that's presupposing that there'd be Roman-style roads in places beyond the borders of the Roman Empire. So, at best, we're saying they're going to take two months. They've waited... For goodness knows how long for the stars to align yeah. to tell them that something is going on. Yeah. They still have to make provision to make the journey. Yeah. It's still waiting. It's tantalizingly close, yeah. but they're still waiting. Even knowing the promise was actually at hand, was tangible, was reachable, there was still the sheer effort of seeing these things come to pass. One of my favourite Christmas hymns is Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Probably because it's like kind of in a minor key, um, and because David Crowder did an awesome version of it. <laughs> and this speaks of the waiting of Israel for her promised deliverer. Hundreds and hundreds of years, Israel waiting for the constellation, uh, consolation. And yet he came in a form that they did not recognise. Mm. The promise was fulfilled in Jesus, and even after his whole life of ministering in that nation, of testifying and witnessing to himself and the Father, people still didn't get that he was the fulfillment of all of these things. Tantalizingly close. Tantalizingly close. A baby in a manger? How is he the deliverer? Bethlehem? That's like the next king of England coming from, like, Bedeth or something. You know? (laughs) He wasn't a royal prince. He wasn't an avenging rebel. He wasn't leading Israel into a golden age of prosperity, as they thought. But more bizarrely, more potently, it was Yahweh himself stepping into history in a a tangible form to make things right. As sleeping at last says, all of darkness was being rewritten into a work of fiction in what Jesus did. The incredible promises of God going all the way back to the beginning of Genesis, I will make you, Abraham, a nation and you will bless the nations. I make you this promise. Thousands of years later, that promise is coming true in that stable in Bethlehem that night. And the Magi are a key part of this fulfillment. They play a key part in the story. Because, of course, Jewish shepherds are going to be invited. They're Jews, after all. He is their promised Messiah. So even if they feel out, they're still on the inside track because they're of the ethnicity Of the chosen but the thing is the promises of God said all nations before Abraham was even a Jew it was all nations and then if you read things like Isaiah or Psalm 72 Kings will come and bow to you can you imagine the distance of time between when the psalm was written or when Isaiah prophesied and when these guys from Yemen made their way to Bethlehem, and yet they were part of the fulfillment of the promises that they didn't even know about, they were part of that story. The Israelite hope was that kings would be compelled, probably by force of arms, to come and bow to their Messiah. And yet the Magi had their invitation, in the language that they understood, not in Hebrew script or some Semitic script but it was written in the stars as the invitation says the message was written specifically to them in a format that they'd understand that fit in with their understanding and conceptualization of the of the universe and they were invited and they fulfilled a very key part of the promise that they would come into witness as well I'm coming to finish now. This probably wasn't very short at all, was it? Um, The invitation of Christmas is to come to the manger. The invitation is not to receive the answers to our hopes and dreams per se. Will I get a good night's sleep tonight? Who knows? In this life, we wait. We all wait. We always wait. We wait for our sick kids to get better. We wait for our paychecks, we wait for the weekend. Our hope would be that our kids would never be ill. But we wait in hope for their wellness when they are ill. Instead, the invitation is not to receive our hopes and dreams, per se. The invitation is to meet the promise-making, promise-keeping God. The one we hope in is good. How do we know this? Because when everything's at stake, he steps into the situation in the most vulnerable way he can. Everything was at stake for the nation of Israel. In 70 short years after the birth of Jesus, the entire nation would be raised by the Roman Empire to the ground. Not one stone left on another in Jerusalem. Everything was at stake and he became a baby. The Lord of all the universe became a child. How do we know that he's good? Because he puts himself on the line. The one we trust is good. He is faithful. He kept his promise from the start of Genesis all the way through the laborious 66 books of the Bible to get to Matthew and be born. We do not hope, as the Bible says, for what we can see. Instead, we hope in the one, the only one who can sustain such hopes. And it is in unexpected ways that our God delivers on these hopes. We come to him, not to the hope that we want to see fulfilled. We come to him. And he fulfills hopes. Our God is good. He does not coerce us into his love. He does not force the kings to bow. At no point was there a threat issued in the stars. You better come or else. His presence was enough for them to travel for them to wait and for them to bow the weightiness of his glory is sufficient for them to bow down so all of us who are waiting who didn't even know they were waiting perhaps the invitation of Christmas is to come and meet the promise making and promise keeping God and to know that he is good the invitation this Advent for those of us who are waiting, waiting for better health, waiting for sleep, waiting for promises, waiting for justice, waiting for something cosmic in scope or something decidedly personal in scope. You are invited to the manger to witness the promise making, promise keeping God in the very action of fulfilling his promises. He is Jesus and he is trustworthy. He is the one we hope in and he is here now by his spirit. In Jesus name. Amen. amen. amen.